And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today, a look at Joel chapter 2 verse 13 will help us with a review on how to return to God and how to properly confess our sin. And now, with this message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. And so, carrying on with verses 12 and 13, the general call to repentance on the average Jew To review, number one, they were to return to the Lord. Number two, they were to do so with their whole heart. Number three, they were to fast. That was to be one outward manifestation of the return of their heart to Yahweh. They were to fast. Verse 12c. See it there? Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting. We've taught you before in this book that fasting basically is foregoing food for a meal or more than one meal in favor of dedicating the time that you would have spent preparing the meal or meals, eating the meal or meals, and cleaning up after eating the meal or the meals, and using that time to pray. Some fasts are part of a day. Some fasts are a whole day. Some fasts are more than one day. But this can be a wonderful way to get back on course with our prayer lives, to forego the time involved in something as basic as eating, and then giving that time as a sacrifice back to God in prayer. If you have not fasted lately or ever, maybe this is the call from God on your life at this time. So they were to return to the Lord with their whole hearts, And they were to fast as one outward manifestation of their return to the Lord. But there was more. The average Jew, after fasting, was instructed to weep over sin. So if fasting was the first outward manifestation of a genuine heart return to the Lord, then the second outward sign of that kind of a heart return to the Lord was to weep. To weep over personal and national sin. We see that in the last part of verse 12. And with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Fasting, weeping, and mourning. But there's more. They were to return to the Lord, the average Jew was, with their whole hearts. They were to fast. They were to weep over sin. And last, they were to grieve or to mourn over sin. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He wasn't talking about funeral home mourning. He was talking about mourning for personal sin. And so this is a timeless principle that if we would return to the Lord by our hearts, it would involve mourning sin, having genuine sorrow for our sin, having genuine sorrow for our nation's sins. So that was what the average Jewish person was instructed to do by God through Joel. And I just wonder what a nation full of believers, what that nation would look like if all the believers in the true God 
were to answer these calls that Joel gave to ancient Judah. wonder what it would look like. I think that it would look like a nation of believers doing these things in humble confession that would wind up in sincere worship. If our nation or any nation and the born-again believers in our nation were to return in our hearts to a walking with God by the Spirit again, what it would look like would be humble confession of sin. Calling sin, sin. Naming sin that is sin. It would not look like confessing in a general shotgun blast confession of sin. And Lord, if I've committed any sins, forgive me for Jesus' sake. That's not confession. Confession is identifying attitudes, words, actions, acts of omission that should have been done, acts of commission that should never have been done, and calling it sin. Specifically, our sin confessions should always be to God because all sin is against God. But sometimes our confession of sin needs to be to other people. The breadth and the scope of our confession of sin should be as broad only as the knowledge and the negative impact of our sin. So if I have an argument with one of you because I'm in my flesh, how my confession should look is that first I should confess my argumentative fleshly attitude with you to the Lord as sin and experience his forgiveness. But then I can't stop there. I need to go to you because my sin has also been against you. And I need to say, will you please forgive me for my fleshly argumentative attitude with you? Then you have a choice to forgive me or not. I can't make you forgive me. But the DNA of the truly forgiven Christian is that we forgive, Matthew 18. Now, if my sin was to be known by the church family and negatively impact the whole church family's testimony in this tri-state area, then I would need to confess my sin to God, and then I would need to confess my sin to all of you in an assembly of the church family. Our confession of sin is always to God, but if our sin is known by others and against others, then we have to confess it to them as well. The breadth and scope of our confession has to uh, line up with the impact and knowledge of our sin. I hope that's clear. So I'm saying that a a nation of born-again believers who are returning to God with their whole hearts in repentance, what that would necessarily look like is humble confession. It would look like humble confession at a personal level with God, and where appropriate, it would look like humble confession interpersonally. That's why you've heard me say rarely, but I have said it, at the communion table that was set this morning, if you know you have unconfessed sin against God and any other person, to let the elements pass you by this communion in favor of after the service, going to the person you have known sin that you have sinned against and asking their forgiveness. And then next month, come to the communion table and partake of the elements with an unhindered fellowship with God. Because always our Horizontal relationships 
affect our vertical relationship with God and vice versa. Our vertical relationship with God affects our horizontal relationship with people. And the normal Christian life, the spirit-controlled Christian life, is to have harmony in our horizontal relationships with people so far as it depends on us, as we learned this morning, and to have unbroken fellowship with our Lord. And the two feed off each other. But also if there's problem on any of these axes, they also interact negatively with each other. You know, when I'm thinking of a a nation of born-again believers humbly confessing sin and that humble confession of sin um, tending toward and culminating in sincere worship, it must have been what it's like for the pilgrim fathers who came to America to to, uh, escape from religious persecution. Imagine what it must have been like when the Mayflower and the other ships landed and they sensed their homeland's unabashed freedom to worship God without fear of reprisal. And they could humbly confess their sins as they, as they committed them. And the confession of that sin in their new land of religious liberty issued forth into sincere worship. And then with due time, that sincere worship issued forth in the Ivy League universities that were founded on the principles of the Bible and as uh, training grounds for Christians of higher academic standing. My, how we've lost our moorings. And so, going back to Joel and to ancient Judah, the Lord had his prophet first direct the masses of the common Jews on how they could honestly return to their Lord. And verse 13 sums up what the Lord wanted in that returning. Basically, all the fasting, all the mourning for sin. What he really wanted, what he really wanted was an inner sorrow for sin versus an outward picture of sorrow for sin. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. And as we pick up where we left off last week, we were starting to talk about faith in tough times, and we were talking about how um, Jesus, you know, had gone away and, and Lazarus had died, and now, you know, Mary and Martha, Martha is coming to him and, asking, and telling him, basically, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. As we pick up in, in, in John eleven twenty three, it says this, Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. In verse 25, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, Yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Here in this particular passage, we see, again, as Jesus brings it to a spiritual aspect, and he says, do you recognize that I am the resurrection and life? That no one who, you know, has a relationship with me will ever die. They will live because they'll have eternal life. But everyone who does not have a relationship with me will die. And they will be separated from God forever, and they will have no hope, no life. And she understands that. And I know that for some of us, you know, as we listen to this, Again, as we're going through tough times, this is probably not the response that we would want. Because we would want to deal with the situation. We'd want God, Jesus, to deal with what we're going through. And he brings that spiritual aspect and he says, look, this is your comfort to know that you will see him again if you have a relationship with him. And we've all experienced death. We've all been to funerals and we've probably been in, in a funeral and heard that if you have, you know, this person has the hope of accepting Christ you get to see him again. But the reality is that we go to funerals sometimes and they have no hope because they've never accepted Christ. Which brings us to that point of where are you at this morning? 
Do you know Christ? Do you have personal saving? Do you have a hope where you see Christ, where you see those loved ones again who have placed their faith and trust in Christ? You see, we need to recognize that as we go through these times, you know, this is our only hope. Our only hope is Christ. And we, and we see, you know, as we continue, and as I mentioned the last time in John chapter 11, you know, we see Jesus' humanity. We see the, the shortest verse in the Bible. As we consider John, and I'm going to pick up at John 11, verse 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Again, we see, you know, again, in Jesus' humanity, Jesus wept. And, and we see how, you know, he has his wept because of, he's seen Mary crying as well as he understands, again, the hope that, you know, they, the people are feeling that they will not see him. But as we see in verse 38, and, and Jesus says, Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has already been dead for four days. Again, as we consider this, we want to make sure that we understand that Lazarus was dead. And they want to make sure that, hey, it's going to smell when you open that. But Jesus, as he knows and he's in control, as God's in control, he says this, Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, and with the face unwrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Again, as we consider this passage and we see this miracle uh, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and we make it very clear because we know that people have always said and, and make jokes about Jesus made it specific that he said Lazarus come out because many people may have came, come out at that time. But we make it very clear that as Mary and Martha are going through this tough time, they know where to turn. They knew to turn to Jesus because they knew that Jesus had the power to do anything. You know, we all know of situations in our lives where we've seen miracles in a sense of people who people may have said they're on the deathbed, but now they are alive and well because people have prayed for them. And, and Christ has, has done a, a miracle in that situation. But we need to understand that, again, as we look at this passage, that our faith is, is tested in tough times. And when we go through tough times, this is truly where we see where, how strong our faith is. And we see truly where do we um, go and where do we turn because the first person we should turn to is, is God himself. We should talk to him about it. We should make sure that we don't allow ourselves to get so caught up in, in a situation that we forget about him. Because at the end of the day, he is in control. He is calling the shots. He is making sure that everything is according to his plan. 
you know, for us as Christians, you know, we need to understand that when we are squeezed, when we go through tough times, this is truly where we are revealed. It truly shows how strong our faith truly is. So I would challenge you this morning if you're listening to this again. What is it that you're going through? Where have you turned? Have you turned to God? Have you talked to Him about it? Have you given it to Him? Because sometimes we can hold on to something and we don't give it over to God. But I challenge you this morning, whatever it is you're holding on to, give it to Him. He knows what's best. He can help you. He can show you the way. For you who don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, the reality is that you have no hope. As we read... I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I give you that question this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ is the resurrection and life? Do you believe that he's the only one who can give life and life eternal? I would challenge you if you don't know that, that you would come to a knowledge of knowing that only Christ can give you a hope in this world. And now, today's Ministry Spotlight. Well, good morning. I'm so pleased to have in the radio studio with me today some wonderful uh, friends from Anglesey Island off the north coast of Wales. They've come to Nassau to minister the word at our World Missions Conference, and their names are Philip and Margaret Evans. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Good morning. We are so pleased that we can visit with you about a topic this morning. Margaret, you shared in our World Missions Conference that uh, whereas your husband Philip is sort of wired to enjoy the adventure of travel, that you not are not necessarily wired with that same uh, gravity toward adventuresome travel. And I wonder if you could share with us how the Lord has brought you along and what it's been like to have been brought along in this uh, question. Okay. When I married Philip, I, I knew that he did have a heart to travel. And of course, adventure did uh, loom. But uh, the thing is, I gave my heart to the Lord as a young girl. And I've always wanted to, to please him and to serve him and to do what he said. Mm. And I often think how we sing many things in hymns and songs and pray in our prayers that we are totally available to God <laughs> yes. and whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we read, you know, in Isaiah, he said, here am I, send me. And this is the call of a Christian to do what God asks us, which, of course, is different for everybody and varies and different stages in our life, different things. Well, the situation was that, uh, well, primarily, in fact, the Lord called us to go to Wales because we lived fairly near London, and uh, my husband had a, a good job in civil engineering. And uh, the pastor of the church one day called him into the office. We knew God was had a ministry for us, and uh, we'd been seeking him all about it. And he said, I want you to pray about going to Anglesey. So he came home and said, we've got to pray about whether we should go to Anglesey. <laughs> So I said, well, where's that? <laughs> and I have to say, I was very pleased here. It was in the UK. <laughs> so we went there, and uh, by the grace of God, there's now a, a church established. Well, the next thing that happened in this journey was we were on a Christian camp, and um, we met uh, a pastor from Nepal 
who had a small church. He was caring for a dozen orphans. The church was only about 30 people. Uh, at the time, we had two small children, uh, six and nine, I believe they were then. So he invited Philip to go to Nepal, you see. So, of course, I was busy with the family. Yes. And um, so he went off very happily, <laughs> just see whatever there was in Nepal. Yes. So I said, bye-bye. <laughs> I did the praying, <laughs> and that was fine. <laughs> and uh, off he went, and he came back. And I have to say, he came back much thinner than he went. Oh. And very, very weary. By the grace of God, he was well, and it had been wonderful. He'd been blessed and been a blessing. So um, as the years went by, of course, the children growing up, they didn't need their mum quite so much at home. And uh, in fact, I was busy at the time helping in the church with secretarial work, with uh, bookings, things like that. So life was full and busy anyway. But then the time came when the challenge was, well, will you go? Will you go? And so, you know, praying about it, I felt the Lord was saying to my heart, yes, you go. Mm. So I, I just said yes in faith. Yeah. And then I got scared. <laughs> <laughs> because, um, yeah, I mean, it's a long way. It's very different and, uh, and everything's different. So uh, anyway, we all packed up. We went off on the trip. But what I would say is that God was so real mm. and so wonderful. And in fact, I found, you know, because the thing is, Will I be well enough? Will I be strong? You know, will I cope? Yes. You know, will I cope with this huge journey? I mean, it, it's many hours of travel and things. But God sustained me so wonderfully. And I have to say, you know, that even in some ways, those first couple of trips, my health was better, mm. better than it had been at home. Wow. You know, one or two issues. And the dear pastor was so kind and sweet, you know, because obviously it's different diet and you know, the hygiene levels are different, etc. Yeah. And so he would say, you know, uh, are you all right? You know, are, are you keeping all right? And I was able to say to him, I'm better. Mm-hmm. My tummy is better than it is <laughs> when I'm at home. Praise the Lord. And he said, oh, good. That means you'll come back, won't you? <laughs> 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 so anyway, so, yes, yeah, so I have been going back. And I, I'm, we haven't really precisely counted, but about 16 times and it's been such a joy because I found that, you know, in that situation, the people are so hungry for the word of God mm-hmm. and um, one's ministry flows. You know, I'm not the greatest preacher in the world at all, but the Holy Spirit, you put yourself in the situation, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit helps and you know, you find that you've got something relevant to say to the people mm-hmm. and the scriptures come to mind. Mm-hmm. It's like a leap of faith, really. Yes. You know, I mean, and and one can be surprised at how God uses you if you take the step. Yes. And, and it, it's such a privilege and the other enormous joy, you know, with going to Nepal particularly is... The thousands that we see coming to the Lord, mm-hmm. which I have to say, you know, we don't see in the UK. Yes, we have some fruit and God does things. And we've seen some wonderful, wonderful things. You know, I wouldn't underestimate that. But to, to come back from a mission trip and to be able to say and hear it confirmed a couple of weeks later, you know, a thousand people gave their lives to the Lord. Mm, and God. more than that, one thousand two hundred and fifty 
were seen in churches the next mm. Sunday because they were so thrilled with Jesus. They told their families, they told their friends, and brought them too. Mm, beautiful. And then the, the Lord and the church and the family of God becomes the center of their lives. Yeah. There are sweet people. There are hungry and needy people. And when they hear of God's love and the gospel, they just receive with a totally open heart and with a childlike faith. Mm-hmm. And so that childlike faith, you know, it's as we believe God, he can work in our lives. You know, and as we have faith as a mustard seed even, you know, God does things. And their needs are so enormous. Speak to them in the scriptures. They believe it and receive it. And their lives are transformed in so many ways. And it's just a blessing to be a part of it. And I give God thanks. You know, I mean, without Philip, I thought, reasonably sure, well, I don't know what would have happened. But I mean, I certainly wouldn't have leapt at it <laughs> of my own choice. Yeah. But now I'm so grateful to God for being a part of that and seeing, you know, how he can use even me. Yes. And it's true for everybody. You know, if we will trust him, do what he says, you know, we'll see wonderful things happen. If we'll take that step of sharing the gospel, perhaps with our neighbor yes. or at work, you know, just pull ourselves together and be, you know, trust God and step out even when we don't feel strong and in our weakness because it says in the scripture when we are weak we are strong that's right because he sees our willingness and our weakness and enables us and then we find with God we can be a person we never were and I, I believe that's true for me I'm now a person I would never have been but it's only the grace of God yes and I I humbly you know just say thank you Lord for for seeing these things happen, it's it's beautiful. Mm, absolutely. Mm. I, I know that story really builds up my faith, and uh, I'm sure it builds up the faith of the believers who are listening on the radio this morning. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.